This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, a Buffalo Bills player suffers cardiac arrest and is in critical condition. He collapsed on the field during Monday night football. South Korea confirms they are in talks with the U.S. about joint nuclear exercises. President Biden denies it. So what's really going on? Belgium is enacting new steps to monitor the COVID situation in China. It aims to verify data and track any new variants coming out of the country. An island park near the Florida Keys was forced to shut down. This after hundreds of illegal immigrants arrived by boat from Cuba. And how long can you last on your rainy day savings? Is it enough? We speak to an expert who has some financial tips in store for us. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Evelyn Lee. Good morning. Today's Tuesday, January 3rd. And Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin, suffered cardiac arrest and was in critical condition early this morning. He collapsed on the field during Buffalo's pivotal Monday night showdown against the Cincinnati Bengals. You could see Hamlin receiving CPR while his teammates surrounded him. He was hurt while tackling Bengals receiver T. Higgins. It seemed like a routine play and didn't give the impression of being unusually violent. Hamlin quickly got back on his feet and adjusted his face mask, but then fell backward about three seconds later and just laid there motionless. He was treated on the field by team medical personnel and local paramedics. He was then taken by ambulance to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. The game has been indefinitely postponed. In 2020, DeMar Hamlin started a GoFundMe to purchase toys for children in his community. The initial goal was $2,500. Since last night, it has raised more than a million dollars in donations. The U.S. National Park Service closed Dry Tortugas National Park off the Florida Keys for several days starting yesterday. This after 300 illegal immigrants arrived on the islands in recent days, overwhelming first responders. The Park Service says the park has recently seen an increase in people arriving by boat from Cuba and landing on the park islands. While most seek overland routes to the United States through Central America and Mexico, others navigate the Caribbean Sea in makeshift vessels. Park personnel had been providing food, water and basic medical attention until officials from the Department of Homeland Security could take over the relief effort. The Park Service said the closure would last several days. In the meantime, ferry and seaplane services taking tourists to the islands were canceled and all other visitor services were suspended. The U.S. Coast Guard has reported it intercepted over 6,000 Cubans at sea in fiscal year 2022. Meanwhile, Haitian migrants have also been taken to the sea. On Monday, police in the Turks and Caicos Islands reported they had intercepted a vessel with 128 people aboard, all believed to be Haitian nationals. Flights in Miami, Florida were delayed as much as six hours yesterday. A problem with an air traffic control computer was to blame. The average delay was closer to two hours. The computer issue forced the FAA to slow the volume of inbound flights. The dilemma was resolved last night. It was one of the busiest travel days of the year. 42,000 flights were scheduled for the day after New Year's. 
South Korea and the U.S. are rumored to be in talks of joint nuclear exercises. South Korea's president said yesterday the two countries were pushing for joint planning and training involving U.S. nuclear assets. President Biden denied the alleged discussions yesterday when asked by reporters. South Korea reconfirmed the discussions today. This comes after North Korea conducted a record number of weapons tests last year and is now boasting of an exponential expansion of nuclear weapons. They claim the nukes are capable of reaching all of South Korea and are developing an intercontinental ballistic missile that can reach the United States. Some experts say North Korea aims to use their arsenal as leverage to get out of sanctions. But South Korea is not taking any chances. They plan to strengthen their defense system and are looking to the U.S. for support. South Korea has no nuclear weapons of its own. It is under the protection of a U.S. nuclear umbrella. The U.S. has a commitment to respond in the event of an attack on its ally. Some experts question the effectiveness of the agreement. They say the decision to use U.S. nuclear weapons lies with the U.S. president. A historic moment soon to unfold in Congress. An intense vote for House Speaker is set for today. Right now, House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy does not have the votes to secure the gavel. Some members challenging the status quo could draw the vote out for days. That would make it the first time in a century that a vote for speaker would go to multiple ballots. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskup to break it down for us. So right now there is just one member publicly saying he will challenge McCarthy tomorrow. That's Representative Andy Biggs from Arizona. Now Biggs already lost that internal nomination vote within the Republican Party a couple of weeks ago, but it is important to put that vote into context. Big ones or Biggs won about 30 votes, which means there were 30 Republicans who voted against McCarthy already. And now Biggs says he's up for the challenge yet again. Here's why. We would restore rules that were in place for literally over 100 years before Nancy Pelosi came in and shrunk them. We would take away, we devolve and divest power away from the center. And by opening that up, we'd create good process and good process will make good policy. Now, some members have indicated they will vote for Biggs tomorrow and McCarthy. He can only afford to lose just four votes because of that slim margin in the House. Now, there has been uh, for a while now a group of five Republicans who have been so-called hard no votes. They will not vote for McCarthy tomorrow. Um, but the latest pushback against McCarthy is depicted here in a letter uh, from nine House Republicans. Representative Scott Perry posted that letter on Twitter. Right writing time to make the change or get out of the way. In that letter, they pretty much uh, thanked McCarthy for his efforts uh, for proposing those rule changes, but they said it's too late. And in an essence, in essence, they were criticizing these new proposed rule changes. Uh, one of the most notable being the motion to vacate. So McCarthy uh, conceded in a way here with allowing the motion to vacate to be reinstated, and it would allow uh, just five members to call a vote to replace the speaker but this group of nine Republicans and other members in the House Freedom Caucus say this just isn't enough. And another interesting rules change would allow members to target and reduce the salaries of federal employees. But of course, all of these rules will only be laid on the table for members to vote on after they elect the speaker, that being the first step. And as for how long that will take, it's still unclear with the challenge that's playing out right now. It could take days for us to know the results. The longest vote in history was back in the 1850s and that lasted about two months.
NTD will live stream the House Speaker election at 12 p.m. Eastern on our website, ntd.com live. California has become the first sanctuary state in the country to allow children to undergo procedures related to modifying their gender. SB 107 came into effect on January 1st. The policy allows to, for providing drugs and gender-related surgery services or so-called gender-affirming care for kids. That includes kids from states where such treatments have been criminalized or restricted. It also prohibits state courts from interfering in child custody battles over these treatments and it bars compliance with any out-of-state subpoena seeking health information. That means data about people who come to California to receive so-called gender-affirming care. This applies if the subpoena relates to efforts to criminalize individuals or remove children from their homes for receiving such procedures. And in Southern California, a school district has banned critical race theory or CRT. The vote came in the first meeting of the new board after conservative members were sworn in. The school board called CRT an ideology based on false assumptions about the USA and its population. They also condemned racism and said they desire to uplift and unite students by not imposing the responsibility of historical transgressions from the past. In rural Northern California, a huge illegal marijuana grow operation is raking in billions. A reporter shares what he learned about the illegal operation after working on a documentary about it. Little do most people know, thousands of marijuana grows are operating illegally in the mountains of Siskiyou County. Jorge Ventura, reporter and producer who investigated the illegal grows, put together a documentary called Narcofornia. He told California Insider's C.A. Makurami about the hidden world of illegal marijuana growth in California. Up in Northern California, it's Mexican cartels, it's Chinese, it's Russians, you have California prison gangs, and then you also have this kind of, what we explored more was the Hmong community being involved in illegal grow operations. And we were absolutely fascinated by not only the control that these cartels have, but also what they did just to local communities. We interviewed firefighters who actually told us that there's um, areas up in Northern California that they don't respond to 911 calls because it's all cartel related, um, heavily armed folks. Ventura said legal marijuana growers are shrinking because they can't compete with the black market. So it's all the cartel stuff because A, they're not paying any taxes into the system. They don't even pay their workers. The workers, uh, majority of the time, are actually smuggled from Central America and they're actually paying off a debt here. Um, they're stealing the water, so that's, that's hurting us here in California because we're in a major, major drought. Ventura explained that in 2006, the Siskiyou County clerk noticed 600 new registered voters, all Asian names. This was unusual in a small rural area with a population of about 2,000, consisting of mainly whites and Hispanics. And when she started to look at the names, she started to notice that the names were also registered to vote in other counties. And actually, majority of those names didn't have an, have an address in Siskiyou. Now, what they did find is one parcel, which is like a little piece of land, had 55 registered voters. Wow. The clerk forwarded the information to the Secretary of State and sent officials to investigate. They asked the county sheriff officials to accompany them. The sheriffs had to be well-armed in these areas because this is all you know, cartel, illegal marijuana grow uh, controlled areas, and they found out what, what, what I just told you was alarming, which they found out one house, 27 registered voters, one house, 60 registered voters, 55 registered voters, and then the, the, the names were also registered to vote in other counties, and some of them still dating back to Minnesota.
Ventura explained that the Hmong people moved to CCQ County from Minnesota and bought parcels of land. Later, they started growing marijuana illegally on it. So what, what, these, what these Hmong farmers are doing, or growers, is they're finding uh, farmers, white farmers, that are willing to sell them water under the table, and they're buying, I mean, there is an estimate there's about 9 million gallons of water either being stolen or kind of um, being bought illegally under the table and they're being brought to these farms to grow. So the, the farmers have been getting hit the hardest. He explains there's also inflation and violence in the community. And unlike Los Angeles, where there are enough officers to tackle an illegal marijuana grow, CCQ County is small and lacks personnel. So I asked one of the sheriff deputies, I said, hey, if you don't mind, what are you making? you know, tackling on cartel grows and weapons and human smuggling traffic and water theft. He says, we actually start off at just 20 bucks an hour. I wow. said, 20 bucks an hour to take on these guys heavily armed, you know, illegal growers, all types of stuff. He says, yeah, he's like, that's why we can't find enough bodies because who, who, who wants to get paid 20 bucks an hour to take on cartels and being in a risk of, of a gunfire fight? Ventura says the amount of people missing is high and it's connected to the illegal grow operations. Law enforcement told him in the Hmong community alone, their illegal grow operation in Siskiyou County is a $49 black market industry. Coming up, two helicopters carrying tourists collided on the Australian Gold Coast. Investigations into what caused the crash are ongoing. And Bolivian protests following the arrest of opposition leader Luis Camacho have escalated. In clashes with police, protesters use weaponized fireworks. That and more coming up after the break. Welcome back. In Belgium, they will be testing wastewater from planes out of China. The Belgian government announced the measure yesterday. The step means to check for any new variants as COVID infections in China surge. Officials say they're aware some COVID-infected passengers might not use the toilet during their flights and that the new measure is a way to verify if data received from China is accurate. They aim to independently track what is happening amid China's lack of transparency. Belgium is also asking travelers from China to test themselves for COVID-19 if they show symptoms seven days after arriving, but that will not be enforced. Belgium's health minister is calling for a European Union-wide policy for China's COVID surge. EU health officials plan to hold talks Wednesday on a coordinated response. Russia acknowledged yesterday that scores of its troops were killed in one of the Ukraine war's deadliest strikes. The attack has drawn demands in Russia for commanders to be punished for housing soldiers alongside an ammunition dump. Here's that story. Eyewitness video purports to show the smoldering remains of a building that housed Russian recruits in Ukraine's occupied Donetsk province. On Monday, Russia acknowledged that scores of its troops were killed in one of the Ukraine war's deadliest strikes. Rockets reportedly hit the recruits in Makivka just after midnight on New Year's Eve. The strike prompted Russian nationalist bloggers to call for commanders to be punished for housing soldiers alongside an ammunition dump. Russia's defense ministry said 63 service personnel were killed. Ukraine's defense ministry had said as many as 400 had died. The air war intensified over the New Year holiday, with Moscow launching an unprecedented third straight night of strikes on January the 2nd. 
Ukraine said it had shot down all Russian drones in the wave of attacks which targeted cities including Kyiv, hundreds of miles from the front lines. It marks a change in Russian tactics after months in which Moscow usually spaced out such strikes. In a stern New Year's Eve message, Russian President Vladimir Putin vowed no let-up. In recent weeks, the front lines have been largely static, with thousands of soldiers dying in intense warfare. In his latest nightly speech, President Vladimir Zelensky praised Ukrainians and said Russia's efforts would prove useless. We stand united, he said. Russians are, quote, united only by fear. Zelensky did not address the Makivka strike in his nightly speech yesterday, but the general staff of Ukraine's armed forces called the attack a strike on Russian manpower and military equipment. The statement did not mention casualties. Two helicopters carrying tourists crashed mid-flight near the SeaWorld theme park on the Australian Gold Coast. The crash left four dead and three hospitalized in serious condition. Of the two helicopters involved, one was lucky to land safely despite damage to its front section. The head of the Australian Transport and Safety Bureau said the feat was quite remarkable and prevented further casualties. Investigations into what contributed to Monday's crash are ongoing. Investigators will analyze several factors, including whether and how long the helicopters had been operating that day. What we do know at this uh, very early stage of the investigation is that one helicopter was taking off. That's had seven people on board. Another one coming in to land with six people on board. Now, they've collided. The one helicopter that was taking off appears its main rotors have collided with the landing helicopter, caused considerable damage to the front section of that helicopter. In the, in the process of that collision, the main rotor blades and gearbox of the helicopter taking off have separated from the aircraft, causing it to tragically crash down onto a sandbar. Of the four people killed in the crash, two were UK nationals. Ron and Diane Hughes, aged 65 and 57, were married in 2021. SeaWorld Chief Pilot Ashley Jenkinson also died in the crash, leaving behind a young son. Protesters set off fireworks against police on Monday night in the Bolivian city of Santa Cruz. Protests have continued for six days following the arrest of local governor Luis Camacho. NTD's Flinders Kingsley reports. Thousands of people have taken to the streets of Santa Cruz using weaponized fireworks and burning cars. Protesters have blocked highways and threatened the transport of grains and food. We cannot allow the government to install a dictatorship, to violate our rights, kidnapping citizens, moving them from one department to another. On Monday, hundreds of protesters marched on the city's police headquarters, demanding the release of Camacho. On nearby streets were smoldering fires and blockades from the overnight clashes. The region is a stronghold of conservative opposition to socialist president Louis Arce. Camacho was taken to a maximum security prison for allegedly being involved in a coup against former socialist leader Evo Morales in 2019. We must inform that through reports we've received recently, which are public knowledge, Mr. Luis Fernando Camacho's health is stable. Protesters call for the release of Camacho, but also for the federal system to give the city more autonomy and state funds. Flinders Kingsley, NTD News. South Korea's antitrust regulator is slapping Tesla with a $2.2 million fine. The agency says the carmaker failed to tell customers about the shorter driving range of its electric vehicles in low temperatures. 
A spokesman for the Korea Fair Trade Commission, Nam Dong-il, on Tuesday explained the EV makers' violations in an online briefing. This is due to false, exaggerated and deceptive advertisements on driving ranges, performance of superchargers and reduction in fuel costs for its electric vehicles. According to the Commission, the driving range of the American EV makers' cars can plunge in low temperatures by up to about half of what they're advertised online. Tesla could not be immediately reached for comment. On its website, Tesla provides winter driving tips such as preconditioning vehicles with external power sources and using its app to monitor energy consumption, but does not mention the loss of driving range in sub-zero temperatures. The issue has been known at least since 2021 when a South Korean consumer group said the driving range of most EVs dropped by up to 40 percent in cold temperatures when batteries need to be heated. It cited data from the country's environment ministry, which stated that Tesla's vehicles fared the worst. Next, how long can you last on your rainy day savings? Is it enough? After the break, we speak to an expert who has some financial tips in store for us. What were your New Year's resolutions? We know that finances are part of it lots of the time, so we invited an expert to give us some advice. Joining me now is Mina Tadras for more. He is the CEO of Tadras Capital. Good morning, Mina. So one of the top financial goals, usually for the New Year, is to save more money. How can people go about it in 2023? The, the real question is, um, how do we improve our risk management capabilities, right? So saving money can be interpreted in different ways. One way, um, in my opinion, is risk management. Um, saving money means protecting what you already have. Um, if you have an investment portfolio and you don't use stock, for example, uh, that is uh, that could be a catastrophe in 2023. Uh, so that's one way to do it. Of course, from... Uh, a different perspective as far as everyday usage, um, you can easily start shopping around for um, cheaper bills, uh, negotiating terms with different companies. Uh, but from an investment management perspective, the most important thing for risk management is certainly using stock losses. Mm. And, you know, a few months ago, I actually spoke to another financial advisor who said that I should have enough in my bank to um, in my bank account to survive basically six months without any income or even a year for 2023. So would you echo that or, you know, what should we budget in? I would budget in several years, uh, let's say at least two years. There are different things happening in 2022 and 2023. Uh, you have a potential real estate bubble happening in the U.S. You have an energy crisis happening out of Europe. So there are different global and national uh, uh, macro perspectives uh, that could affect uh, people in the U.S. and, frankly, globally. So I wouldn't just do one year. You want to prepare for the unforeseeable. Um, so so I, would, I would suggest a little bit more. But let's say, God forbid, you get laid off. Um, it's been trending this year. Lots of big tech companies have been laying off employees. So you should prepare for yourself. If that happens, can I last two years without a source of income? Um, so hopefully you've been saving up um, a decent amount of money at this point, but if you haven't, I would start uh, doing so immediately. Um, so that's the frame of the mindset that, that you should have, and uh, I would suggest at least two years. 
do you have any, you know, financial advice, practical advice that you think is being looked and maybe more people should know about? Uh, so, so uh, given the outlook of 2023 and potentially 2024, uh, I would start. I would suggest that individuals should start looking at inverse ETFs. Uh, nobody has a crystal ball. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but it's best to be prepared. So let's say the economy continues in a downward trend. Um, what can one invest in to make money? Uh, well, the easiest thing is to buy inverse ETFs. If you don't want to short the market with the risk of shorting the market, if you buy inverse ETFs, uh, then then uh, that's certainly easier for you. Uh, a regular ETF, uh, a long ETF, will basically correlate to the market. So uh, let's say uh, SPY, for example, that correlates to the S&P 500. So as the market continues to go up, uh, SPY will go up. But an inverse ETF, basically moves in the opposite direction. Let's say the S&P 500 goes up, that ETF uh, will go down. But the good news about this is that if the market goes down, the inverse ETF will go up. So this allows someone to make money while the market is going down. And most financial advisors don't do this. Most hedge funds don't do this. We do something very similar at Dodgers Capital, <clears throat> pardon me. And I would strongly suggest that people start um, um, uh, thinking about this. That way you your portfolio should be able to provide you with an absolute return, meaning that regardless of what happens to the market, you know how to make money. Um, so, so that would be my very, very strong suggestion. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mina Tajis. I, I really appreciate it. It is all mine. Thank you for having me. You know, Evelyn, I'm glad you brought him on. He makes a good point. It's much better to be in the green zone than being in debt. Yeah, but really two years of um, saved income, that's that's... That's news to me. That's something to shoot for, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that's it for today. Remember to write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.